Are you a farmer or dairy business of the future? Then we encourage you to attend our annual Dairy Strong Conference on January 19th through the 20th in Madison, Wisconsin, or participate virtually. Dairy Strong brings together a wide variety of management philosophies and shares innovative ideas with forward-thinking farmers and dairy businesses to explore. Registration and sponsorship opportunities are available at dairyforward.com. Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, welcome back to Dairy Stream. You know, more and more farmers are joining the conversation around regenerative agriculture is really the best way to manage the land for environmental, animal, and human health. And today we have an excellent guest to talk about that. Uh, His name is Rick Clark. He's a fifth-generation farmer, a Purdue graduate in ag economics, who actually has won numerous national sustainability awards and has had decades of experience in conservation practices. Uh, He does farm 7,000 acres of five-crop system, which includes corn, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa, and regenerative crops. And Rick, again, I want to thank you for being on the program with us today. During the first part of our dairy stream, we're going to talk about a systematic approach to reducing your carbon footprint and talk a little bit about uh, you know some of the sustainability practices that are available. But before we go any further, can I just get kind of your layman's definition of what our regenerative agriculture is all about? You bet, Mike. And first of all, I want to say I'm honored to be here today and talk on this subject matter. This is very important, and I greatly appreciate uh, uh, you keep pushing this word and this message out to the public. So thank you very much for that, Mike. I appreciate it. This is very important because as far as I know, there is not one standard definition of regenerative ag, and that's kind of a problem here. We need everyone heading to the same goal. With that being said, my definition is you need to take everything away. And what I mean by everything is all tillage has to disappear, all synthetic inputs have to disappear, and you learn to farm uh, in a symbiotic relationship with Mother Nature, and you try to work with her and not against her. Now, that is a very extreme definition, Mike, and I'm, I would probably be willing to bend on that a little bit if we were to come up with a definition that's going to cover the masses, let's call it, across the whole farming sector. But today, that's my definition, because that's what we're doing. We've taken everything away. All right. Well, thank you for that. That gives us a, kind of a starting point for this podcast. And I want to ask you a little bit about uh, the farmers themselves. Uh, obviously, uh, the, one of the buzzwords over the last decade or even longer is, you know, our carbon footprint and how we want to kind of reduce that. So let's just start on how can farmers actually reduce their carbon footprint through using conservation practices? Great question. I believe this could be done by most of the farms in in not only the United States, but in the world, there needs to be the implementation of no tillage practices, and you need to start adopting the use of cover crops. If you were to do those two things alone, you are going to see a reduction in fuel, a reduction in uh, the chemistry that you're using, a reduction in synthetic fertilizer, a reduction in the release of CO2 into the atmosphere, and an increase 
of sequestering carbon and starting to actually grow carbon. By doing all of these things, you will start to shrink your carbon footprint. And I think probably another part to this answer would be, Mike, that I've seen that there's not a yield reduction when you start applying the six principles of soil health. So that's usually the first question I get asked is how much yield am I going to lose? Typically, you might lose a little bit in year one, year two, but then you start to gain that back. And there are many instances where actually you can out yield your old practices that you used to have with with tilling the soil and, and high fertility. You're listening to Rick Clark. He's a fifth-generation farmer from Williamsport, Indiana. We're talking about reducing your carbon footprint by using sustainability practices. In particular, uh, we are talking today about regenerative crops. And I know for people that have heard you speak before, uh, you've mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, reducing a carbon footprint isn't a one-size-fit-all approach. So can you kind of give us examples of how this not only you know, really works when you're a larger operator, but also if you're a small or a medium-sized farm? I was taught a long time ago how to raise soybeans into cereal rye uh, when the cereal rye is at boot stage, which that's a, that's a growth stage of the cereal rye. And you plant your beans, you come back 40 days later, roughly, and at anthesis of the cereal rye, uh, you, you roll it all down with a roller crimper. I think that almost all of the soybeans in the United States can be grown that way. Now, if you were to take this approach, first of all, Mike, we can't, we can't just jump right in and expect this to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, several things have to be in place first. There has to be people willing to train these farmers on how to do these things because these are all processes they're unfamiliar with. And then the second big hurdle to cross is there won't be enough cover crop seed to handle this many acres at once. So we've got to look at this as a big grand scheme and how can we conquer this over over several years. And if we were to get a farmer to that point of where he was growing soybeans and cereal rye, we can just about eliminate the use of a burned down chemical. So now we're starting to work toward building soil health because we're starting to reduce that chemical load on those acres. And now you're at a point where you are going to go out and scout your fields and there may be some situations, Mike, where you may not even post-spray because that cover crop has done such a nice job of suppressing weeds. And then there may be cases where you have a, a leakage of weeds coming in and you go out and you either spot spray or you do a reduced rate of spray. So all of these things I've just talked about are going to reduce your carbon footprint and get you on the road toward starting to build soil health. Just a side question on that. I know I've noticed over the last decade or so, you know, many more acres have now developed and are starting to use cover crops. And although there still are those that need to uh, join the parade, but from your perspective, if you're looking at your timeline, how far up that timeline are we now by saying that we are seeing, you know, X amount of producers or X a percentage of producers that are using cover crops? I like the, the trajectory that we're on. I believe it's regionalized, let's say. 
Right. So for example, there's a pocket in Iowa where it's almost becoming a competition on who can who can do more cover crop than the next guy, but it's a fun competition. There's it's all everybody's involved, they're building community, they're bouncing ideas off each other. That's the type of, of progression that we need. We need those pockets. Let's say that pocket is five counties today, and tomorrow it could grow to 10 counties, and then it grows to 20 You, know, you bring up a, a, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you're bringing up a good point on the fact that if this is going to be successful, you're really going to need to form these communities and get like-minded people to realize, you know, this is a direction that certainly uh, is going to benefit them both financially, but also environmentally. That's exactly right, Mike. I mean, we cannot do this by ourselves. We need everyone as a collective to be bouncing ideas. And then it you need folks like me to come onto a podcast like this, be totally transparent and let the, the people know what's working and what's not working. I mean, if you come and listen to me speak somewhere, I can shave off about five years of grief because I'm going to tell you most of the things that I've struggled with over the years. And that's huge, Mike, because when we, we are asking farmers to change, okay? You know, hey, Farmer Bob, you've got to change the way your dad did this, and now I'm asking you to change the way you're doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm not a. I don't want to offend you. I'm not saying that the way you're farming is wrong. I just want you to think about adding some of these other ideas to your current system, and let's make your system better than it was yesterday. And if we can get that to happen, I think it is imperative and critical that the farmer has success the first time they try these new practices, because I'm afraid that if they don't have success, they're going to throw their hands up and they're going to say, see, I told you this doesn't work here. I'm never doing this again. So we have to be very careful how we continue to push forward and get more and more farmers to come on board. And the voice you're listening to is Rick Clark. He's a fifth-generation farmer from Williamsport, Indiana. He's talking today about a systematic approach to reducing your carbon footprint. And on that subject, Rick, you know, I've heard different people talk about how carbon should be measured. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I, I'm a little reluctant on, on the methodology here because here's what, I'm, here's what bothers me, Mike. Okay. As far as I'm aware of, and someone please out there, if, if you hear this, correct me, because I'll, I'll, I'll need to be corrected here. But as far as I'm aware of, there is not a metric to measure carbon in the soil profile accurately and repeatably and cheaply. So with that being said, how in the world can we pick carbon as the element to measure if we can't measure it accurately, repeatably, and cheaply? So my suggestion on that would be would be to come up with a soil health score, and then a soil health score would translate into a, a certain amount of, of tonnage of carbon per acre. Now, I also want to go on another direction here, and let's, let's look at the way most of these carbon markets are being structured currently. What they're trying to do is they're trying to go to that farmer who is not implementing any soil health practices or stewardship or conservation of any kind, okay? And they're going to say, okay, if you would implement 
change on your farm and stop, you know, start reducing tillage, start incorporating cover crop. We're going to then say that you've sequestered this many tons of carbon and we're going to now pay you for that, that sequestration of carbon. Okay, that's great. Now let's flip over to the, the pioneers of this, like myself and many other farmers. I have no more room to change. I've done everything there is. So there is no carbon market for me. Well, how about we go back to my soil health score idea? Now everybody can play. I'm hoping that my soil health score would be higher than a neighbor who hasn't done anything yet. And then my uh, pay would be higher than his based on my soil health score. So that's, and the other thing about that too, Mike, is you can make a soil health score determination with a spade. Just carry a spade around in the back of your pickup, and you don't need fancy equipment. Mm -hmm. You don't need expensive equipment. And you can, within an hour or less, you can assess your soil and make a soil health score that would just then translate to a carbon score. I really wish they would attack this on a little different front than the the carbon element because it's just so difficult to accurately measure it. I appreciate your transparency on that answer. And uh, if you've been listening, uh, Rick has mentioned on a couple of times uh, his principles of soil health. We're going to get into those six principles of soil health in the next segment of our Dairy Stream podcast. So we are not going to just bypass uh, that point because it's an important aspect of this entire podcast. We are going to be taking a break in just a moment. But before we do this, as I said, we're speaking with Rick Clark. He's a fifth generation farmer. He has uh, won numerous national sustainability awards and has spent decades of time and experience in conservation practices, and we appreciate his time and his candor today. But before we take that break, I know you've spoken at uh, several farmer-led watershed groups and really kind of applaud the farmers that have initiated those and participate in the watershed groups. So I want to know a little bit more about your thoughts that you have for farmers to get involved and build a support system. That is a great great topic. I thoroughly enjoy coming to the great state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a unique state in the fact that they have 41, last count I knew it was 41. It may be more than that, so please don't be offended if I left somebody out. But the last I knew there were 41 farmer-led groups. So let's go back to my earlier comments, those pockets, those regions. That's what these are. These are groups of farmers that conduct meetings. They bounce their ideas off of each other. No one person is heading in the same direction. They're going in 10 different directions. That then is going to get the answers quicker to what works and what doesn't work. Now, Mike, I do not use the word failure. Failure is too negative of a term. I use the the phrase outcome I did not expect, and how can we change that outcome and not repeat that same problem? Failure is too negative. You have to take the negativity out. There is so much change going on in your life here. The way you think about things now changes. It's no longer about yield. Unfortunately, a farmer's success is based on yield, not ours. Ours is based on on soil health, human health. Are you a good steward? Are you socially accepted in your community? All of these things are important toward being successful, and yield is definitely not one of them. 
But back to these farmer-led groups, they are critical for the success and the increased movement of adopting these practices. And I think what's happening now is your your Wisconsin legislative people are now paying attention to these farmer-led groups, and they are now starting to show up at these field days, and they are gathering the information that they need to then go back and build that policy that's going to help that farmer because they now understand what the farmer needs and what the farmer's doing. Excellent insights. Again, we are spending time with Rick Clark, and he will continue to be with us on our dairy stream. We are going to be taking a break. When we come back, we'll talk about understanding the systematic approach and how it can save you money, because obviously we're talking not only about uh, the environment, but the financial impact this has as well. Again, I'm Mike Austin, and we're back with you in a couple of moments, so please stay tuned to our dairy stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. The Nature Conservancy is a global conservation organization dedicated to conserving the lands and waters on which all life depends. Guided by science, we create innovative, on-the-ground solutions to our world's toughest challenges so that nature and people can thrive together. In Wisconsin, we help farmers improve soil health and protect clean water while sustaining profitability. We also collaborate with communities, governments, businesses, and other nonprofits to protect Wisconsin's most outstanding natural areas, address climate changes and its impacts, and help make cities more sustainable. To learn more, visit nature.org backslash Wisconsin. Well, again, thanks for being with us on Dairy Stream. It's brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Our guest today is Rick Clark. He is a fifth-generation farmer, a Purdue graduate in ag economics. He's won numerous national sustainability awards and has decades of experience in conservation practices. We've been Kind of picking his brain on a systematic approach to reducing your carbon footprint. And we've been talking about regenerative crops, and we're going to continue to look at that. Uh, Rick, uh, during this segment, I want to kind of let our listeners understand the systematic approach and how it can save them dollars and cents. So you brought up several times during the first part of Dairy Stream the six principles of soil health. Can you kind of go over those and what you know they really mean and how they do work in this environment? Number one, probably on my list, is is the reduction of tillage, and and I have totally eliminated that tillage. I think it's reduced the disturbance. You know, number two would be keeping the, the the ground covered with a with a living root, a cover crop. You know, livestock integration, and I think that that's a bonus. In, in the state of Wisconsin, there are so many dairies there. I would take a dairy and I would bring those, those spring heifers out. You're raising to then bring into that milk herd at a future date. I would have them grazing across the farm and, and bringing in the, the nutrients they need that way instead of uh, mowing and baling hay and, and bringing that to them, take them to the nutrients, and then they're spreading their, their, their urine and their manure across that field. Uh, it's just a huge bonus to have those those cattle there if you have that capability. Another one of these principles that I think is a very important is is context. This one has been added recently, and the context is important because, Mike, we're talking about, you know, I live in west central Indiana, so just so everyone has a reference of where I'm at, 
Uh, I am straight east of Champaign, Illinois, and straight uh, west of Indianapolis, Indiana. And we get cold here, and we have to plant different species than you would plant in the state of Alabama, for example. So you have to have that context of where you are and what crops are going to work within your region. You know, those are the ones that I abide by the most. It is imperative, though, Mike, in my opinion, if you are going to have a carbon market that's going to be viable and accepted by the the, the numbers and and thrive into the future, it's going to have to live on the backbone of those six principles of soil health. It's going to have to. So you might as well start getting prepared and start farming using these methods. So then when those the carbon market people come knocking, you are ready to, to dive in and, and go full steam ahead. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I like the idea that you don't use the word failure in your vocabulary, but I think we also know that, you know, when we're talking about this new road we're traveling, there's always some bumps in the roads and some challenges. So what advice do you have for overcoming these potential challenges? Well, number one probably is you better have some thick skin. If you are one of the early adopters in your community, going to do this, you will be frowned upon uh, at first by your peers around you. At least I was. So be prepared for that. Be prepared for absolute change. I mean, typically a farmer wants a field as pristine as they possibly can get it. Not one weed, every every clod has been sized out there, no bigger than a golf ball, and everything is absolutely perfect. That is not going to be the case in this system. And if you take it to the extreme that I'm taking it to, you're going to open up yourself for a lot of those outcomes I did not expect situations. Mm -hmm. So you have to now start to learn not to take each year as one snapshot one snapshot in time what i mean by that is you have to start looking at the averages across your whole farm across the multiple years that you have of cash crops growing and then that's how you start to look at ROI because uh, mike i'll be totally honest with you I've got field, and I don't talk about yield very often because that's not what I'm about. But we've got fields of beans that that are organically certified that yielded in the 70s this year. I could take you right down the road to a field of organic beans that yielded in the 30s, but I can tell you why that happened. It's all about the timing of when the cover crop gets planted. I didn't realize in my journey here how important the timing in the fall is to plant your cover crop until you take chemistry away. See, mm-hmm. We no longer any inputs, Mike. We've not used any synthetic fertilizer on our farm now for eight years. We know no chemistry, nothing. We've taken everything away. So you better have a rock solid cover crop program because that is the tool that I am using to suppress weeds are those cover crop cocktails. 
Our guest is Rick Clark, a fifth-generation farmer from Williamsport, Indiana. And again, as I said, uh, he's a man that's won numerous national sustainability awards and has decades of experience in conservation practices. And he's been sharing his thoughts, ideas, and experiences with us today on Dairy Stream. And just a few minutes ago, he talked about uh, six principles of soil health. Obviously, we're looking at enhancing the environment and the habitat, but we're also looking at making this financially viable. So on that point, Rick, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how does this process really reduce input costs? I think some jump right up in front are pretty obvious. But again, where can farmers save money when we talk about regenerative crops? Right. That's another great question. You know what, Mike, now is an excellent time to talk about this. I mean, our world seems to be in a little bit of chaos right now. Our supply chain has been massively disrupted. I'm hearing horror stories that the synthetic inputs that these farmers need for next year's crop have just gone up in price. Some have tripled in price. So now when you start to look at what these these inputs cost and now you relate it back to my system where we've taken everything away on the acres that we're farming and i'm now comparing our savings to current prices we are saving somewhere between 1.4 and 1.6 million dollars a year in input savings Hmm. to me that is huge so Okay, Rick, are are your yields as good as they used to be when you when you dove into this organic? No, they're not. But I have higher prices that I'm working with. So at the end of the day, when you take out all of those input costs and you take a reduction in yield back to a higher uh, price that I'm getting for that commodity, I am now have a much stronger, much better ROI than I had two years ago. So there is massive amounts of money that can be saved here. We need to start incorporating these practices to take advantage of that. I mean, right now, anhydrous is about 85 cents per unit of N, which is just outrageous. Two years ago, it was probably 40 cents or maybe less per unit of N, or maybe even a year ago. So it's going to be very difficult for the farmer to cash flow this 22 crop out. So they've got to be very, very careful here. So, you know, we're almost too late to get a cover crop program started in most of the, of the country here. But if you went south, you could still plant some cover crop. But in the great state of Wisconsin, it's probably, I mean, we could get some cereal rice still planted today and it would work. But again, we've got to make sure that if it's a first timer, they've got to have the setup to where they're going to succeed. And I don't think that's on, you know, what is today, November the 8th or 9th? This is not the Mm -hmm. day to be planting a cover crop in the state of Wisconsin. We need to be doing this next August. So, yeah, I wish people would, would jump in, but we also have to be careful, Mike, and make sure that we're doing it at the right time with the right package. You know, again, back to that context. So I think there's huge savings that a farmer could be saving right now if they would just start down this road of of regenerative farming. And I don't mean you have to come all the way to where I am. I'm very radical. I'm way off to the side. I'm almost by myself. I'm way out there, and that's fine. 
But Mike, there is all kinds of room on this curve from doing nothing to what I'm doing that that folks can land on. So let, let's uh, you know let's let's make it happen. Change is good. Just remember that change is good. Now I want to just clarify one thing, Rick, and that's a fact that when you're talking about the dollars, the value you've enhanced of your crops and the bottom line return you've gotten when you talk about your return on investment. I mean, are you talking now that you're getting higher prices for your crops because you are now certified organic or can I be somewhere on that scale and not going all the way to be organic and still see these kind of returns? Well, that's another great question. The bulk of our returns are coming from the fact that we are certified organic, but mm -hmm. there is also bonuses for farmers that want to plant non-GMO soybeans. I believe the last premium I heard for a, a non-GMO soybean was somewhere around a dollar thirty or a dollar forty a bushel. So right. that that processor is going to pay you a dollar forty over the futures price to then get you to grow a non-GMO soybean. I think that's a no-brainer, and especially if you were to do this into the systematic approach of using the cereal rye as the suppressor of weeds, you now have just tremendously increased your ROI. Now, I will say one more thing here, Mike, about this ROI. Five years ago, before we dove into the organic world, and if you think back to what the commodity prices were five years ago, I don't mean the organic prices. I mean the, the Chicago Board of Trade commodity price, because five years ago, that's what we were still uh, getting. Right. We were at some historic lows. And at that point, we were still had the best ROI that the farm has ever seen because we were increasing yield and decreasing input. So the point here is you don't have to go to my extreme of where I've taken everything away and you can just do some of these things and see tremendous benefits, not only to your bottom line, but tremendous benefits to being a good steward and being conservation and helping, helping to heal this precious planet that we live on. Well, Rick Clark, I want to thank you for being our guest today on Dairy Stream. We certainly appreciate your passion, your candor, and your transparency. And I want to close by kind of looking from the top of that mountain into the future and seeing, you know, where we might be heading and who's going to have to be involved for the success you're talking about. And I think when you talk about this topic, we both would agree there's going to be a lot of players involved, not only farmers, but policymakers as well. So in closing, what advice do you have for both of them to see our regenerative agriculture continue to move forward? Please, if there's any policymakers listening today, uh, please go slow with this. Get it right the first time. The farmer is, is a finicky person. They're very set in their ways. You're asking them to make drastic change to their farm. It has to be successful that first year they do this. The programs have to be structured in such a way that they are financially going to make it worth their while to, to implement these six principles of soil health. And then I am confident that once you can get that, that taste in that farmer's mouth of how good this works, they will not need any more pushing or prodding and they on their own are going to move this across their farm and slowly bring in more and more acres as time goes on. We just 
have to get them started in the right direction. So please, please, please get this right the first time. That's all I ask. And what about from the farmer's perspective? The farmer's perspective, be patient. There's a lot of ideas being thrown around. There's a lot of players in the space. Be patient. Take your time. And please do not think that going into a carbon market is going to save your farm. If you are in a financial situation where you are nip and tuck for for making it and surviving in this this world we live in, a carbon market is not going to come in and save you. It's just another tool in the toolbox to add to your bottom line or your ROI. So just remember, it takes a lot of pieces, a lot of community, and a lot of help to, to make this successful. This comments from Rick Clark, a fifth-generation farmer from Williamsport, Indiana. As I said, he is a graduate in ag economics. He's won numerous national sustainability awards and has decades of experience in conservation practices. And he does those practices on 7,000 acres on his farm in Indiana. And just kind of in closing, I know in talking with someone else in about the field of regenerative agriculture, they say it really is not just sustaining the current land resources so they can be used in the future, but actually improving what is there, leaving it better for the next generation, both environmentally and financially. And I think at least some of those points are brought up in today's dairy stream. So again, thanks to Rick. Also, a big thank you to Joanna Guzzo, who does an outstanding job producing and editing dairy stream. And of course, thanks to you for your interest, for your openness on a subject, again, that continues to have a lot of ears and uh, kind of mouths open on what they think it is, where it is heading, and how it can benefit uh, all uh, in this place we call uh, the world of ours. Again, I'm Mike Austin. Until we meet again, thanks for listening to Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us podcast at dairyforward.com.